Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Good. If this is your first time listening to the First Time Podcast, let me explain. You remember that time you saw your favorite movie for the first time or tried your favorite food for the first time? That feeling of something new, something exciting, something awesome? We're going to try to recapture that on this show. Um, Most times, we won't recapture that feeling, but if we hit it once, it'll be worth it. So me and my guests will talk about something they're experiencing for the first time or something I'm experiencing for the first time. And today I have my reoccurring guest for our third and final installment in the Death Wish series, my wife, Nikki. Hi, don't say final. You don't know. Well, I guess they could always <laughs> do another Death Wish movie in the future and they we could, could record another podcast on it. But do um, it like a Netflix series. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah. Um, yeah, you're back. I'm D- here. This is it. We've watched all the death wishes. We've wished all the deaths. <laughs> We've seen all the shootings and murders and rapes and, and boobies. Yeah. And so, um, as I said, our first topic will be Death Wish 5, The Face of Death. Glamour and high fashion. A new crime syndicate is taking over. Peekaboo. I watched this guy coming up through the Irish gangs, and now he's ruthless. He's infiltrated every aspect of my business. Their methods are brutal. Promise me if anything should happen to me, he'll take care of Chelsea. Gone. The one thing they didn't count on was an enemy who wouldn't back down. You know, these people, they steal, they murder, destroy people's lives and get away with it. Kersey's no amateur. You've got a problem. Charles Bronson is back. I'm coming for you, O'Shea. And this time, he's not leaving until his wish is their command. No judge, no jury, no appeal, and no deals. The cops take these guys down. Sometimes the law works. And sometimes it doesn't. It's showtime. History. Where's the girl? Charles Bronson. Guns make you nervous? Death Wish. Okay, Death Witch 5, The Face of Death, made in 1994. So we're seven years after Death Witch 4. So Death Witch 5 is seven years after Death Witch 4. Okay. The Face of Death. I was just, uh, I keep, (laughs) I don't remember if I said Death Witch 5 or Death Witch 4, but this is Death Witch 5, The Face of Death. Correct. And like I said, this is the, this was made 90, or made 93 um release in 94 the first last and only death wish to be released in the 90s definitely has that 90s feel to it yeah it stinks too you know not not a fan (laughs) it was my least favorite (laughs) yeah they seem to well i wouldn't say they progressively get worse because i feel like three is so much fun three is that your favorite i think so i mean it doesn't have jeff goldblum but um it'd be better if it had jeff goldblum 
Yeah, Just everything. Saying. Everything might be better with e- death cult. Everything. But... I mean, that goes without saying. Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I'll just go over a brief description of the story, sort of, and then we'll yeah. we'll focus on the details. So, like I said, uh, has Charles Bronson, who's back as Paul Kersey in his final theatrical starring role at all. Like, this is his final movie that he did as an actor that made it to theaters. Um, he battles mobsters as he tries to protect his girlfriend played by Leslie Ann Down from her ex-husband, mob boss, Tommy O'Shea, who is played by Michael Parks. Um, Michael Parks, a sort of legendary character actor. He was on Twin Peaks from Dust Till Dawn, Kill Bill, Grindhouse, Tusk, Red State, Argo, and just about every TV show in the 70s. Um, then he sort of, you know, he, he played that guy. He was just a sort of a character actor and then, you know, sort of had a comeback in the early, well, I guess mid-90s after this from Dust Till Dawn. It was a few years after this, and then he became sort of a staple in Rodriguez in Tarantino's universe. He actually sort of played this reoccurring character in all those movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he plays the mob boss, Tommy, in this. And to me, in this role, he sort of almost comes off as he's doing like a jack nicholson like he reminds me of jack yeah, nicholson quite a I bit can see that. but he's a huge asshole he's hateable uh-huh. um and so basically he plays the the main mob guy and you have to give him motivation because guess what guys what paul kiersey has another woman how does he do it i don't know actually there's a little bit of a um reason they give it at least a little bit of a feasible reason that he can find another girlfriend in this and he's in witness protection oh because i was gonna like ask like like don't these girls like so like why are you single you know what happened you know you kind of ask those questions after you've been dating at least a while and like he's like oh they all have been murdered (laughs) it's gonna be a red flag i don't know yeah but this time he's uh (laughs) I, I don't remember his new name in this is Paul something, but um, he's in witness protection now. And like I said, it's, it takes place seven years later. We open up with a scene. He's at like a fashion show. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. I feel like. Well, well he, he walks into like a really cheesy um, fashion show and it's yeah. it's not even cheesy in the 90s sense just cheesy in general i want to say like it starts out with like these girls in these like fashion bondage outfits that are terrible i I don't know like that it was if it was even 90s good no i don't think so it was just weird and i think like right away we see some nudity like right in the opening scenes Um, it's just like look at these models wow and you're like oh fashion fashion it's like why why <laughs> in this movie yeah and it's very different for a death wish movie and he sits yes. next to this little girl and there's no explanation but you assume oh he's sitting next to a little girl she's going to die mm-hmm. um because anybody he's connected to somehow dies in a horrible painful death but we find out that it's not it's just sort of like um death wish four was it yeah where he's dating a woman and she has a daughter through someone else yes and she his his new girlfriend runs this fashion show or is she um, a designer yeah she designs the clothes and runs the uh, clothing business and you know she goes backstage during this fashion show really important fashion show and she runs into her 
ex-husband who is the one that's played by Michael Parks, Tommy O'Shea. And we learn very quick that he's sort of this very powerful mob boss who has his hands in, in not only her business, but a lot of other stuff. He's basically using this um, fashion, this clothing business as a money laundering scheme. And he has several money laundering schemes around the city. And as it, It's a typical like Italian mobster type thing. But he runs into her. They have some kind of argument. He doesn't like... He likes to be controlling, so he grabs her by the wrist and sort of drags her along and hurts her. Of course, um, Paul goes backstage, runs into her, finds the bruise on her wrist that's already there, asks her what happened, and um, she tattles on her ex-husband, and Paul doesn't like that, so he confronts him, and there's a, you know, you think Paul's going to whoop his ass or something, but um, his goons the uh, Tommy's goons sort of pull a gun on him and threaten him. Then the, the little girl walks in the room and everybody sort of, they, they end the confrontation and that's sort of where we get our beginning to this um, motivation for Paul Kersey to be Paul Kersey again. Um, I just want to ask, you probably don't know the answer. Well, I don't know why you would. Um, how much did he know getting into this relationship? Like, is he looking for women that, or somehow, like, have ties with gangs or mob. Like, what are the odds that he gets into this situation again? And it's just... He went seven whole years without getting into trouble. You don't know that. Well, yeah, I do, because he changed how his name and went into witness protection. How many women did he lose <laughs> that, <yeah. laughs> in those seven years? <laughs> so, then we sort of skip forward. Um, these two officers... Um, visit Paul's house and uh, oh it's Paul Stewart that's his new name He's, he okay. goes by Paul Stewart but um, these two New York police officers visit his house and they realize who he is because they can you know witness protection cops can figure out who you are um, and he lets them know about Tommy and then the cops are like oh, you know, we've been trying to nab Tommy and his guys for years, so let's have her testify against him. Like, that mm -hmm. he hurt her and that he is running this money laundering thing. They've been after him for years, so they want her to testify. Um, and, of course, that doesn't go well for him. Um, Paul takes his new girlfriend, Olivia, out for dinner that night at a nice restaurant. They sit down. And across the restaurant is her ex-husband, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, he's there with some beautiful women that are way too young for him, as every mm -hmm. mob dude has. Mm -hmm. And um, he proposes to her. She accepts. It looks like Paul's going to get married again. Yeah, this like the last movie, like he was like, oh, commitment. And this one, he's like, I need to, you know, tie one down. Well, yeah, because he's in witness protection now. He's safe. There's nothing bad could happen to her this time. But then why, why would he... Why wouldn't he find a better woman? Like, a, a better... Not, okay, not a better woman. Just a woman that's, that's not involved with this bullshit. Well, apparently he had no idea until he, oh. he ran into her backstage and put the two together. Because that's when he meets Tommy, I believe. Oh... I mean, they're at the point where they're engaged. Like, I feel like he should have figured it out by now. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. But I it's... feel like he's smarter than to be that naive. 
Right, but it seems like she tries to keep her ex-husband out of her business and her life and her yeah. kid's life, too. But um, his... Let's just blame her. Well, it's like <laughs> it's like a, a magnet, because as soon yeah. as he proposes and she accepts, literally within minutes, she gets up to use the restroom, and this woman follows her into the restroom, but it's not a woman. It's a man. It's a man, baby. It looks like a woman... Going into the, the wrong restroom yeah. <laughs> is what the conservatives that keep war- warning us about is men dressing as women to use a women's bathroom. And uh, <laughs> who did we we think it looked just like um, dude from Kids in the Hall? Oh, Kevin, Michael, or, uh, Kevin McDonald. Yeah, it looked like Kevin McDonald. I also thought it looked like the um, character on At Home with Amy Sedaris that dresses as a woman. It just... But then I realized that it was a guy dressing as a yes. woman, so, you know, it's supposed to look like that, but very, um, like, big, poofy hair and stuff. But this guy is Freddie Flakes, as they call him, because for some reason they decided to enter in this weird fact that he has a dandruff problem into the movie for no reason at all. Yeah. It's like a comedy relief or something they're trying. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's supposed to be, like, a funny, weird, quirky... Like, a really stupid psycho- villain. The, yeah. Like, he belongs in you know the nut house it's sort of like uh reminded me of maybe like what they would do for a bond movie where it's like yes every bond character has a stupid thing and then like austin powers went and made fun of it yes you know yes so he definitely he has like a dandruff villain but um tom it doesn't doesn't even matter right yeah so freddie flakes um dresses a woman bashes olivia into the mirror um yeah, cuts up her face beats her up um runs out of the bathroom and paul literally runs into freddie on his way out um uh, paul visits olivia at the hospital and they make this big deal like she's disfigured and she's gonna need reconstructive surgery she has like some scratches and scars. yeah when we see her later it's pretty stupid that you know foundation concealer yeah she's fine i mean for someone i guess who's in fashion maybe she was like a model or I, that we didn't know about mm-hmm. or you know relies on that but it's like they try to play it up and it's like dude out of all the things that have happened to paul's women oh. like <laughs> she, she got lucky yeah she's pretty <laughs> like getting getting hit in the face with a mirror from freddie yeah. flakes is not bad um but then again, it's like, you know, uh, Paul is angry, but he's uh, warned by the police not to pick up on his old habits. They're like, you know, we know who you are. We know what you've done. Don't go back to doing this. Let the police handle it. Um, yeah, that's not a good idea. <laughs> who are they kidding? Yeah. So eventually, yeah, um, like I said, Paul's angry. And then... Uh, there's like a female officer, Janice Omari, who's with them, and uh, they're also attacked by Freddy. And it's just sort of like one of those things. It's like, you know, Paul's Paul's upset, wants to go after them, and they're like, "Handle, we we've got it, you know, we've got it under control." Then he finds out that they've been after him for like sixteen years or said this or something. They mm-hmm. said eleven or I don't remember eleven or twelve or yeah. sixteen something. But Paul sort of like makes fun of them, like. You know, oh, I've seen you've done, you've failed for 12 years or whatever. Sort of calls him out on it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. And, uh, yeah, so Mm -hmm. where did we go from here? I'm trying to think. Um, 
so the people keep getting attacked. Like Freddy's out, and he's trying to de- basically take them out now. Uh huh. And there's this poor guy who works at the clothing factory that they make an example of. This big, this big guy with a beard, and they pick on him. His henchmen pick on him. Yeah, and they kind of torture like some innocent people. Yeah, there's a. a black guy who works like security or something there Mm -hmm. and they really pick on him and drop an Mm n-bomb and cut his face and threaten to like sew him or or use like a no you you used a iron thing on him like the heat um like a press yeah yeah. there's like a clothing actually like factory like they're making the clothes there yeah manufacturing them manufacturing that's the word is uh unbelievable because we know everything's made in china for like yeah and it's like happening in the same building where they were having the fashion show too where it's like it's not only like you know they're hosting a fashion show but like they're also in the back making the clothes too <laughs> like it's just God, it's just a weird setup this place i think if i got that right unless i'm getting getting confused no you're right and yeah. um it's the reason for that is because of budget they shot this Mm -hmm. whole movie in canada even though it's supposed to take place in new york Mm -hmm. and it's all one like big set so it's not even a real building it's shot on like a set which is the cheapest way to do it they didn't i'm saying like they didn't find like a building that would happen to have sort of well i'm just saying for this movie you're supposed to believe like yeah this is where they have fashion shows sell the clothes and make the clothes which I, not here. Yeah, and there's there's a point where Paul and Olivia are actually attacked by Freddy again, at uh, Sal and Chicky, Chicky at at Paul's and by Sal and Chicky. So all three of them go after him, and they end up shooting his girlfriend Olivia in the back to escape. But um, that's when Paul jumps off the roof, and he lands in like a pile of garbage mm-hmm. and gets away they find him there and uh they're trying to it, it basically now like paul is after them mm-hmm. like he turns around he now you know they've they've killed olivia they shot her and so he's after them um at this point yeah he decides to return to his vigilante ways and he's assisted by hoyle who learns his department has been corrupted by tommy so um yeah, Tommy even has men inside the police, which is not surprising. We've seen that every movie. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where Paul poisons Chicky, who's this sort of big, dumb, stereotypical Italian guy who's loud and bosses everyone around. He poisons, poisons his cannoli with some kind of, like, powder. <laughs> yeah. Like, poison powder. Yeah, he sneaks into a like restaurant that they go to and gives he, he he somehow sneaks over convinces he like shields himself it's really ridiculous because it's clear that he, they could have seen him he's not even hiding in the restaurant and he uses a shaker of some kind that he brought with him with like cyanide or something and puts mm-hmm. it on the cannoli as you would yeah and uh he chokes on it ends up you know choking and dying he escapes the restaurant before he's caught <laughs> You got a problem? (laughs) 
there's another great scene where he kills Freddy Flakes. Do you want to talk about that one? Do you remember what, which one that is? No. <laughs> I honestly don't right now. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous one. He, Freddy Flakes has a girl with big, gigantic, fake boobs in his like hot tub in his house. Mm-hmm. and there's ridiculous banter back and forth between him and the girl because he's worried about his dandruff and his hairline, and she's like, you look great, whatever. And he hears a noise out front, and it's Paul with a remote-control soccer ball. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> should not exist. There's, like, even a, a like a part where he goes shopping for this at, like, a toy store. Yeah, so, yeah, he got this re- remote-control um, soccer ball, and... He goes to this guy's house and he's standing outside the gate and um, he sets the ball in and it's rolling around and so um, the it's setting off alarms and he has to get um, out of the, is it a bathtub or hot tub? Either way. Whatever. He has to get out and he like puts on clothes and dries up really fast and... Is looking for like you know who who's in my yard and it's this finds a soccer ball and it's like oh kids and he picks it up and, and the soccer ball explodes and he sets him on fire and it's and Paul's just kind of smirks it's like hey, got him and walks away yeah and it's really like it's really bad it's like a, a very clear it's, it's a dummy yeah and it explodes and then like he burns yeah it's not even like boom he's dead it's um dra- dragged out a little bit it's like brutal Hey, Freddy, hmm. I'm going to take care of your dandruff problem for you. Damn, Paul. Yeah, and I think from there, uh, there's a scene where, I'm probably jumping all around, but there's a scene where they try to send in this guy who's running, who who they picked on earlier, this sort of bigger guy with red hair and a red beard. They Mm -hmm. they keep making fun of his weight and picking on him for his weight. Yeah, very rude. And they threaten him, like, he's basically saying, I can't keep running this because we're not selling enough clothes for us to be lying about it. Like he's taking in money for drugs and he's not selling enough clothes to keep up with that. So it looks suspicious and they throw a bunch of clothes in this acid bath that they have for some reason. Yeah. I was going to mention that. And they threw like a mannequin in there too. It's like, why is there like a batch of acid? Yeah. It's, it's very like, um, what would you call it? That's like very 007 also very James Bond Mm -hmm. or, um, straight out of house on haunted hill and they throw those clothes in there which to me doesn't do anything it just makes the situation worse i guess they're threatening him Mm -hmm. like we could throw you in here but the police try to get him they they wire him up and put like a mic in his pen and try to send him in to get them to admit what they're doing and the two henchmen before they were killed by a soccer ball and a cannoli so i am jumping ahead like back but they realize what it is 
and they go after him. He sort of takes off the other way, and that's when Freddie Flakes pulls up in a car and just hits him with a car and sends him flying and kills mm-hmm. him. So um, they're on to what's going on. They know exactly what's happening. And then, so Paul's sort of taking care of Olivia's daughter now, and the villain, uh, his the daughter that they have together. And at some point the police or child protective service or someone shows up and they take her away from Paul because Paul's not her legal guardian. Uh And now her dad is because her mom is dead. And of course she fights it and he fights it, but it's really weird scene because the police are there. And I guess it's because he sort of just owns the police and everybody else, but he just gets his daughter and then they like beat up Paul and then leave the house. Wait, did we already talk about how his fiance died? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she was shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying, because, yeah, they break into the house and attempt, and uh, she escapes, but then mm-hmm. she gets to the roof and they shoot her on the roof. I thought you jumped ahead of that, but yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I talked about that, and uh, yeah, so there's not really a whole lot of death in this movie, actually. The body yeah. count, I think, is the lowest in, in the series, and it, once again, sort of feels like the last movie where it doesn't really feel like a death wish movie. It feels like it's another, just a a crime thriller that they Uh fit to that death wish sort of, um, formula, but it's not over yet. Um, they basically like when, uh, I think Tommy, Tommy finds out from an informant that Paul is the vigilante and will be going after him for killing Olivia. So the informant is Velasquez and tries to kill Paul himself, but Paul gets upper hand and kills him. So he tries to sneak into Paul's house. He's, you know, the dirty cop that's inside now. Paul kills him. And then um, Hoyle, who's the other sort of lead cop, and he's in like a bunch of stuff, but I, I can't remember his actual name, but he's a very good actor. He shows up and finds uh, Paul, you know, finds out Tommy wanted uh, both him and Paul dead. He was going to kill the other cop, too. And so he just lets uh, Paul go, but he's like, we can't talk anymore. Like, you just got to go. I wasn't, you weren't here, basically, type of thing. Like, I'll look the other way, which is like a theme in this series, too, is the the good cop that has to just let it go. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, you know, he kills off pretty much all the villains, and it ends sort of in a part where Paul shows up at the factory. And I think he's trying to get the daughter back, right? He's basically, they're holding the daughter hostage or something. And Paul wants to get her back. Mm-hmm. He shows up at this. Um, yeah. He's using Chelsea. That's the daughter's name as bait. And Paul shows up at this clothing manufacturing plant, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. This sweatshop. He so- shows up at the sweatshop and they've got a whole bunch of dudes with guns and Paul, of course, fucks them all up mm-hmm. in ridiculous ways. He's got knives in his back i mean they he he comes in and they're waiting for him and they set they basically lure him in like they drive and know that paul's following them so he they lead him there like a mouse to a a trap and when he gets inside of course he's still paul kiersey so he they they take his gun or whatever but he still has a knife in his back pocket he like throws a knife into a guy he eventually starts he, he blows something up with like a forklift he drives a forklift and they that blows up of course um shoots up a bunch of people uh, there was just a ton of, of, um, gang members at the Olivia's factory, uh, trying to protect Tommy. And, you know, of course he blasts through all of them like it's nothing. And, uh, 
he eventually knocks Tommy into that pool of acid. Ah. And that's, you know, he, he takes Chelsea, uh, and I think the last line that he says, he calls out to the injured, um, police officer, you know, Hey, Lieutenant, if you need any help, give me a call. Like sort of saying like, you know, I've got this knew the cops couldn't take care of it. So I've got it, but sort of funny he throws the villain into that vat of acid. I feel like that batch of acid is it's such in a bad spot where you can just like easily trip into it if oh you're, yeah like just... there's there's not even like a cover for it yeah and it's, it's just, just constantly a... boiling yeah and, and, and it's just like you can just like not be paying attention where you're walking and step right into it it's like why it's really it? who designed this like this this place is not up to code oh <sighs> Oh, it's 90s. Yeah, and it's it's in a like you said it's in a weird spot where like it's it has its own like stage. Like they walk up these yeah. steps and it's all the thing all that's up there is this it's a hole in the floor like a big door and it's they use like dry ice to make this water bubble and sort of mm-hmm. look like it's it looks like a hot tub but it's it's typical like villain acid. Mhm. It's so stupid. Isn't it like green or something too? I don't I don't think it's green, but uh should be if it's not. Yeah. If so, they make a remake, please make it green. Yeah, that would be like a little overkill, but it still is pretty <laughs> ridiculous. But um, at this point in the series, we'll talk a little bit about the behind the scenes stuff. I will. Um, Charles Bronson was 71 when they filmed this in 1993. Doesn't look like it. But 71. He gets around pretty well still for yeah. 71. Um and like I said, it was it was filmed in early '93 and released in '94. It was his last theatrical film before he died. Um, he did, I think, some straight to video stuff after this, but this was the last one that went to theaters. His uh, budget was, or his salary was between five and six million. So, not including his salary, the entire budget of the film was only five million. So he they paid him more than the rest of the whole budget of the movie. Mm. So like the entire shooting, everybody else's, uh, but everybody else's salary, everything was only five, and he made between five and six. Can you guess how much it made at the box office? Not enough. One point seven million. Aww. Didn't even make his salary back. Um, Not his problem. <laughs> well, they. It was huge, huge, huge flop at the time. They released it very limited in theaters in January of 94. Mm. A weird time to put it out. Um, uh-huh. And basically, this film was put out because um, it was it was actually produced by 21st Century Film Corporation. So this is a company that was established by um, Minohan Gol- Golan, excuse me, after Canon Films bankruptcy. So... Um, Golan was one of the main two guys that had Canon films in the early nineties or eight late eighties. I think um, Canon folded and went bankrupt. So the two guys separated and this guy Golan created this 21st century film corporation. Um, He had after this, he had several flops like once again and he thought, okay, well, here's one way I know I can make more money. Let's make another Death Wish. Oh, no. And hits up Charles Bronson and brings back the gang because he produced, I think, two, three, and four. And so he thought, you know, for sure I can I can make another Death Wish movie and it will make money. 
and he was wrong. Is there a happy ending? No. <laughs> um, I hate this. Yeah. So he this failed. Yeah. Yet. Yep. Um, the movie was shot in Toronto uh, by Canadian director Alan Goldstein, who had not really done anything like this before um basically they hired him because he was cheap and knew how to make movies i think mm. he had directed he had directed some other no budget or tv movies or something but um they steve carver was originally going to direct until the producers planned to cut the budget they didn't even ask michael winner who did the first two or three movies yeah the first three movies um but at that point in his career he was michael winner said that you know he would have done it if they would have asked, but since he didn't do the last one, they didn't bother asking him thinking he wouldn't want to do it. So he, he they sort of missed out and he missed out too. Yeah, it never hurts to ask. Well, sometimes it does, but should ask. Yeah. Vacation. Yeah. So like I said, they filmed in Toronto, Canada. This film set in New York. So we were back to New York, New York and, uh, and, uh, California, back and forth, back and yeah, forth. Yeah, was the last movie in California? Yeah, last one was in Los Angeles. No, now we're back in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, due to tax reasons, because they shot it in Canada, they wanted to save as much money as they could. Several roles had to be filled by Canadian actors. And the one, to me, that was very obvious when I read that this person was Canadian, like, oh, no shit, was his daughter, because she was really weird and awkward. Didn't she kind of have an accent well not an accent but i don't know she didn't really have many i don't know if she even had any lines or she she might have said a few things like you know no or oh dad or something i don't know but she didn't have a whole lot of lines and really was just used as sort of a another pawn in Mm -hmm. this game but she just looks canadian like (laughs) at the beginning when he sits next to her it's like what's going on that sort of makes sense with the fashion thing too i think is that it was canadian Oh yeah, they they're, they're notorious for their awful fashion. Yeah, so that could have made that, that could have made sense for why some of the things <laughs> and the, the sweatshop and the batch the of acid yeah. that's not up to yeah. code. Yeah, it's in Canadian. Canada, yeah, in Canada you can have it's open so acid wild, wild west. <laughs> um, this is the only one, the only film in the Death Wish series that did not include a rape scene. But we do see it's Canada. But we do see some boobs um, and nonviolent uh, context. So yeah, fa- like model fashion boobs. Yeah, so like cool boobs, not like yeah. right boobs. Yeah, boobs you can actually enjoy. Yeah, don't feel guilty about enjoying because yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> this one out of all of them had the lowest body count with only eleven. Was seven killed by Paul? So Paul only, only killed seven people, and Lame. that's the lowest oh. lowest body count for him, and lowest body count for the entire movie. But he felt stupid. Yeah, he probably <laughs> was so embarrassed with his five million dollars. I mean, he made like a million, almost a million per kill. I well, I, do you think like after all that happened, he went home and be like, I should, you know. Like, I could have done better. I could have killed more people. Probably not. He was 71. Like, I mean, that's a lot but of... But no, no, like the fictional... Are we talking about the... Paul fi- Kiersey? Yes. Paul Kiersey? Um, yes. No, probably not. I or... mean, it still feels like he killed everybody that he could have. There just wasn't a lot of people involved this time. Do you feel like... I don't know. I I just trying to get in his head, like, does he feel like he did a good job? 
or was it just not, you know, or was it like, wow, this one went a lot easier. I only had to kill seven people. Yeah. I mean, realistically, he should be like, Paul Kiersey should be like, you know, I can't believe this happened again, but I'm glad I kept it to seven people. But I don't know. I think he kind of enjoys, I think he has a, a thing for it. For killing bad guys. I and I, I think he knew what he was getting himself into with this relationship. He looked for someone who was connected to the mob oh, just yeah. so he could kill some mobsters. Oh, yeah, he totally played her. <laughs> so, I mean, it feels definitely like I said, this one feels like a 90s movie through and through. Yeah. It feels like something that would have been like straight to video in the 90s that you'd rent. So it's not far yeah. off from what it was because, it, like I said, it played very limited theatrical Um I think it played for like a week or two and then probably disappeared. And they said it had much better traction on home video. So there's a happy ending you're looking for. Yay. It did okay on home video. And we're still talking about it to this day. Yeah, I don't think... <laughs> I, I think people's obviously, you know, we're, we're through with the um, Charles Bronson's run of Death Wish. But I think, you know, overall three is the most fondly remembered uh, has the biggest cult following. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is probably the best film overall. Yes. And this is the worst of the series, I would say. It's yeah. sort of a stinker. I think they said that the director, when he jumped on, had a few rewrites in the, in the script so that he could add some of the humorous stuff, like the uh, soccer ball and Freddie Flakes and that kind of stuff. It didn't need it. No, and it definitely feels like Canadian humor, too, which is really hit or miss. <laughs> They're notorious for their awful humor. No, it's like... <laughs> It's like, uh, well, when when I read it was, you know, Canadian, I was like, maybe that was Kevin McDonald. But, you know, I looked it no, up. It's not him. Not him. I knew it wasn't him when we we uh, saw him out of drag. But Yeah. Um, but his face. I would have I known. If if Ke- he, yeah, because I'm a fan. So, overall, you're not a fan of this one either? No, it felt, it felt low budget. And I just, I kind of. I mean, I, I kind of criticize some series for kind of repeating the plot over and over again, but I really miss the kind like the I guess the plot from the first three is just kind of these street thugs rather than this organized crime and like four and five was just like taking down mobsters and gangsters, and um, the first three was like these punk ass criminals are you know terrorizing their neighborhoods and you know killing and raping everyone it's just keep it simple yeah and you would think yeah i mean by the time you get to the fifth movie and he's on like his fifth woman or fourth woman i guess because he doesn't have one yeah he does i was gonna say it is this is fifth yeah it's but in the second movie i don't his woman doesn't die, right? No, we just don't know really know what happens to her. Cause but that, he, he yeah. dumps her or something. Yeah, and that that was the one movie with his. He's kind of like, this is lasting too long. You haven't died. I'm bored. <laughs> that was and that. Remember that was the one that had his real <laughs> wife playing his girlfriend, and he refused to let her die or get raped. Oh, so that's yeah, yeah. that's what happened with that one. And he's just like nothing exciting is happening with you. I didn't think you'd be around this long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
that's why he was okay with committing to Olivia in this movie because he knew that she was going to die anyway. So yeah. might as well engage her and try to get something out of it. Yeah. Just like, just kind of, I don't know, get some amusement out of it. Like, like <laughs> we're not going to make it to the wedding. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to, I know I'm not going to have to pay for this wedding. So might as well get engaged and, mm-hmm. and entertain you. Yes. Entertain himself. Yeah. But it's, like, pretty wild to think, like, the stereotype of that reached such heights now that he got engaged, and within probably two minutes in the in the movie... She can hear her face Yeah, she's in. getting killed. Like, she, not she killed. killed. They, they try attempted murder. Mm-hmm. And then she gets killed trying to escape her own house, but... Um, Do you think they never made, a, like, a sixth movie because no one would date him? No, actually... <laughs> the the producer even after the flop of five um had announced part six without <gasps> without even having charles bronson on board and didn't let him know but i guess at a certain point he became him and the producer became so uh strained over creative differences mm-hmm. that the only way they would communicate was through the director with each other so um yeah, he was out, and I doubt they would have done it anyways because of the flop that was part five. Yeah. But um, Charles Bronson basically said he would not do it, so I'm sort of surprised. I guess, like I said, because of the money, but um, sort of surprised they just didn't do it with someone else. But I guess that sort of leads us into the next thing. But what's the next thing, Tad? Good. We will talk about that after a quick break. Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. All right, we're back, and I think this topic is no secret because you read it right in the description, and it's the title of the episode, but we're sticking to the Death Wish theme, but sort of all new but not new, with the Death Wish remake from 2018. Sway in the morning, Shay 4-5. We gotta talk about what's happening in Chicago. Everybody's watching this viral video of this guy in the hoodie. They're calling the Grim Reaper. He stopped the carjacking. Is he right for taking the law into his own hands? He's become a folk hero. What about the shooter? He looked like a white dude. I love my family. But when they needed me most. 911, what is your emergency? There's men are breaking into my house. I think they're here. <gasps> no. Failed to protect them. Dad, where's mom? The men who did it are out there. So there's nothing that you can do? Is that what you're saying? If a man really wants to protect what's his, I want to buy a gun. He has to do it for himself. We're closed, pal. We'll kill my wife. Who else was there? I don't know 
anything else. I believe you, Joe. So you're not gonna kill me? No. Jack is. You got caught in some crossfire? The ice cream man done it. The ice cream man? Can't walk to school if you don't work for him. Who are you? Your last customer. They called him a guardian angel. He saved my life. You look much better getting out, socializing. Mm. Not so much. Well, whatever you're doing, keep it up. <laughs> okay, I will. All right, so 2018, we have a new Death Witch movie directed by horror filmmaker Eli Roth, who did Cabin Fever, Hostel, Hostel 2. You might recognize him as the Bear Jew in Inglorious Bastards. Um, he did Knock Knock, and I believe he also did, what was it, The House of the Clock in Its Walls? Yeah. So he, Eli, I don't know, this was a weird, weird announcement and decision for yeah, me. Yeah, I was going to say that it was kind of a weird film for him yeah because at this point he had written i think uh, yeah he had written everything that he directed like he did cabin fever which is a low budget horror film that got a big cult following um tarantino saw it and loved it so he produced his next movie which was hostile which was another big hit to the point where they made hostile 2 and they've made like several hostile and a lot of cabin fever movies there's like mm -hmm. five cabin fever movies but um, Eli was supposed to be this big Artur, like this the new um, chosen one, and Tarantino backed him and even cast him in two of his movies. He was in Inglorious Bastards and he was in Death Proof. Um, sort of became Eli's boy, and then he just never really lived up to it. Like he's he's either a love it or hate it guy in the horror community. Some people absolutely think all this stuff. Oh, I forgot about Green Inferno, but yeah, that um, turd. Yeah, but most of, <laughs> most of his movies are um, polarizing to people. He was he was born in that torture porn era, and he definitely was like the leader mm -hmm. of that with uh, the hostile movies. Excuse me, and you know um, he's had hits and misses, but he's still a big face in the horror community. Um, he's a funny dude. I tend to stand behind him i like most of his movies even his bad ones like green inferno are fun to watch because they're yeah. so bad um i think he's an awful writer i think he's a competent director and Hope he's, he's a, not listening and he's an okay actor um Man. but i like the guy but he sucks at everything he does no i said he's a good director i like the when he like I think his best movie is A Clock with a House, uh, yeah. the House of the Clock yeah, in the Walls. Yeah, like this, um, this movie, I felt like it's well done, and you could definitely see his style with some of the brutal death scenes. Yeah, but he didn't write this. That's the thing. Like well, I didn't say he did. I know. I'm not saying, but I'm saying like Just, it's well directed. What I'm saying is like is what I'm saying. His it's interesting because 
to me like his some of his best work which is a house with a clock in its walls is mm-hmm. not written by him he's basically mm-hmm. hired as a director this one he was just hired as a director yes he went in sort of a weird direction i think he did a good job so you like this one a little bit um well i like it um i, I kind of feel like if it fall but if it kind of feels like it follows a uh generic hollywood formula a bit okay so we'll talk about the story a little bit um paul kiersey is back and he's dr paul kiersey he's a doctor he's like a surgeon he's an experienced trauma surgeon yes a man who has spent his entire life saving lives and uh after an attack on his family he embarks on his own mission for justice Mm -hmm. so Worse. This is a remake of the first movie, or I guess you could say an adaptation of a new adaptation of the book, which is interesting because in the book he's a CPA, in the first original movie he's an architect, and now he's a surgeon. So they've changed it both times from the book that he, you know, has a new job, but. In this movie, it's played by Bruce Willis. Paul Kiersey's played by Bruce Willis. Um, mm-hmm. His brother is played by Vincent um, D'Onofrio, who was in Adventures of Babysitting, Full Metal Jacket, and he played the creepy bug guy from Men in Black with like the saggy skin. You know who I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, I didn't oh, realize yeah. that was him. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. He's a really good character actor. Um, mm-hmm. In Full Metal Jacket, he's sort of the chubby dude that shoots himself in the head. Horrible. I mean, he's great in that. Horrifying, but great. Um, also, his wife is played by Elizabeth Shue, who was sort of everybody's crush in the 80s. She was in Adventures in Babysitting also with uh, mm. Vincent. And she was in Karate Kid as Danny's girlfriend. And she was also in Back to the Future 2 and 3 mm. as Michael J. Fox's or um, McFly's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And also has Camellia... Marone, Maroni, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but that's his daughter, and she had never been in anything before this. Yeah, I, I could have done without her. Um, I guess Eli really pushed for her for some reason. He knew her through, like he met her and her mom through some kind of organization. I don't know, but um, he pushed for her to be in this movie because he felt like she was genuine and. Ah, I. Yeah, that's not what I got. And I, I wouldn't take, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't take anything Eli Ross says as genuine to heart because he's his, some of his um, casting choices are pretty bad. But there is one, another big name in this one, and it's Dean Norris from Breaking Bad and Total Recall. Yeah. Hank. And yeah, he's pay- pretty much like the same guy. Yeah, and he's like the same guy in everything. And Eli yeah. Roth is like in love with Dean Norris from Breaking Bad, so makes sense that he cast him as basically the cop who's right on the case and right behind him sort of like heisenberg and mm-hmm. breaking bad he's right there on the edge but um this story is pretty similar to the first movie he's a surgeon um he's got a nice little family just a daughter and a wife just like the first movie and it's his birthday he goes got to eat with his brother and his wife and daughter she just got accepted into college so they go out to celebrate yeah that. yeah and the perfect happy family you know, it'd be a shame if anything would happen to him. Yeah, and there's a, there's a <laughs> stupid scene that really doesn't hold any purpose where they're watching their daughter's soccer game 
which is sort of weird because she's supposed to be like a senior in high school and there's like 12 people in the crowd watching they're standing on the sidelines like yeah it looks more like a um like, a, se- like an elementary yeah like a little kids, kids game yeah not like a high school level yeah at that point like you're Whatever. playing for scholarships and shit and she's yeah. and there's like nine people but he gets into sort of like a yelling match with another parent who's terrible actor too mm-hmm. um and it's a typical like i guess it's sort of set the tone that paul kiersey is not just a raging asshole like he keeps it calm and he you know mm-hmm. he doesn't accelerate he actually um breaks up the like confrontation like he doesn't confront this guy he calms things down uh-huh and i think that's sort of supposed to set the tone that like He's not a violent guy. He's a very level-headed, level-headed, smart family man. Yeah, um, you know, and he even like the guy making fun of him for like wearing khakis and like a sweater or something. He calls him like something, some kind of insult, like to make fun of him for being mm-hmm. like a perfect family man. I forget what he calls him, but um, he diffuses the situation and. You know, they like I said, they go out for dinner and the valet driver is in the car and he takes a picture. It's sort of like the first movie where they get the address from the wife. Yeah. But it's the, like a modern uh, version. Yeah, at the um, grocery store. But, yeah. Um, yes. So valet driver is, is the guy that gets the address. And... Yeah, from the GPS, like you can type in home and he takes a picture of it on his cell phone. And he knows that this guy's a doctor and he went out to uh, eat with his family. And I just now realized... I've I've wondered this both times I've seen this movie. There's a point where his his brother asks him about like borrowing money, and he they're standing outside waiting in the car, mm-hmm. and he says, you know, look, you need to borrow money, and he's like, yeah, just like two thousand bucks, and he's like, you know, I can, I, yeah, sure, I'll I'll do that. It takes care of it, and his brother's like, thanks, man, you're the man. Now I I always wonder why that was because I the whole movie I was just, I was suspicious of his older brother or his little brother. I don't know if it's older or yeah. little brother, but. The whole movie, I'm like, this guy doesn't sit with me right, and he's borrowing money from Paul. Like, what's his deal? Is he somehow connected to this? I realize now that the valet heard him say, like, can I borrow 2000 bucks?" And his brother's like, yeah, no problem. It's only 2000 bucks." So it's probably like, hmm, oh, this he's guy, rich. Yeah, this guy... Has money. Has money. And wasn't he wearing his new watch, too? Yes. That so... was a gift. So he knows he's well off, and his car's really nice. Yeah. And anybody who gets valet you know that they're uh well off but takes a picture of it and later that night um they're supposed to be going out to dinner for paul's birthday and he gets of course like any doctor someone had a fever and couldn't come in so he has to go in and work as a surgeon on his own birthday leaving his wife and daughter to go get um ingredients to make a cake they're gonna make him a birthday cake at home because they couldn't go out to eat that night Mm -hmm. they get back to the house and, of course, the valet and his dudes now have the address. They go in, and it's just like the first movie. They they knock on the or They don't even knock on the door. They break into the house, and they're wearing these creepy skin masks, which is a very, like, Eli Roth thing. Yeah. And very much a horror movie moment. The thing that sort of bothers me about this reboot version is, like, I... I mean, I am sympathetic because you should never kill someone, but, like... The situation was ramped up because they fought back with these people who were not going to do anything. Like, his daughter's downstairs, and, you know, they basically make his wife go upstairs, go to the vault and take out, or safe and take out, like, money and jewels and stuff while the daughter stays downstairs with this guy. 
He starts getting creepy with her, which yeah. is not cool. Yeah. Getting rapey. But and then another guy comes in and he's like, dude, don't do that. That's not what we're here for. Uh-huh. We are not going to hurt anybody. We're just going to take the shit and leave. And they start bickering back and forth. And she sort of had an out. Like she, those two guys were going to like either hurt each other or kill each other or the f- situation was going to be diffused. And she interjects herself into it for no reason. Like they're, they're, um, spatting between each other, like sit back and let it happen. And mm-hmm. instead she sees an opening and grabs a knife, slashes one of them in the, in the face, escalates the situation. The mom comes downstairs, Elizabeth Shue takes like boiling water, throws it in another guy's face. And then they try to run, which is when they get shot. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, I'm not saying like you should bow down to everybody who breaks into your house, but they were not going to hurt them. Like they were very uh-huh. clear, like, give us your shit and we're not going to kill you. And she tried to attack them. And that's what happened to me. It's sort of like frustrating. It's like, I'm not saying like, let them rape you, but. They, well, they weren't going to rape. Right. As far as, I don't know. But even just like, take it, take it. The mother was like, take anything you want, just leave us alone. And then they had to try to fight back, and they're, mm-hmm. they're outnumbered, and the guys have weapons. Well, since I've worked in, like, a lot of, like, retail stores, that's something I've always been taught is don't fight back unless you have to. Let them take whatever they want. Well, you work at a, at a bank now. What I work at you? a bank. To give them whatever they want. Exactly. So, to me, it's like, it was really dumb. I mean... I just she she's a she's a child. If she was actually <laughs> if she was actually like if they were moving in on the rape, yes, like absolutely fight back. But um one of the guys, like one of the goons was diffusing that and told them not to and they were fighting amongst themselves like let them kill each other. Mm-hmm. Don't step in like just sit back, you know, and let let them do I what they're going to do. You might be being too harsh on a a teenager that's also a bad actor. <laughs> okay, so any we'll move on. Anyways, uh, Paul gets he hears over the intercom at his at the hospital that they're bringing in someone that's his wife's age and his daughter's age, and you know he gets to the ER and they tell him like don't go in, you know typical bullshit. And of course mm-hmm. he pushes past, goes in. Um, his wife is completely under the sheet. They lost her. You know we couldn't mm-hmm. do anything. And apparently the actor that um, broke the news to him was an actual. Um, er doctor so like he you know i guess he was like the medical advisor on the thing because eli roth wanted somebody who really would know like how an er would work and how injuries happen and stuff so they he was a medical advisor and eli's like why don't you just step in and do it so you can like you've broke this news to people all the time right and he's like yeah i've told plenty of people their significant others dead he's like then do it in this movie and so he tried to do that to, to get it to be uh, genuine. Yeah. So he finds out his wife's dead and he's like, what about my daughter? And they're like, you know, she's in intensive care. They go in. She's in a coma, um, you know, complete coma, like eyes closed, not awake at all, not conscious in any way. And that's basically where we start getting our Paul Kiersey. Um, he starts watching videos on YouTube. Oh, and I forgot to mention they're in Chicago, this movie. Yes. And from what I understand, um, Eli Roth chose Chicago because it is much higher violent violence rate now than New York is. Yeah. So like in the 70s and 80s when um, the first Death Wish series was filmed, New York was sort of the epicenter of yeah. death and now Chicago is. So he chose Chicago, um, which funny enough, I think at the end of the first Death Wish or maybe one of the Death Wishes, he, Paul Kiersey moves to Chicago. But... Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, he gets an apartment in, like, Lakeshore Drive or something. But, um, anyways, we're in Chicago now, and he starts watching these YouTube videos that are sort of, like, he sees, like, an ad for a gun, uh, oh, man. a really bad ad for... It's so cheesy. Yeah, very Eli Roth. Um, it's for a gun shop that's, like, you know, come on out and buy a gun. And it's Ran by a very pretty girl. And, realistically, have you ever seen ads for gun stores they're pretty all pretty bad yeah there's not really a good one i don't shoot to kill i shoot to stay alive law-abiding criminals don't exist when seconds count cops are minutes away come on down to jolly rogers we've got some badass deals on our f1 firearms Ooh, and right now we have a special on our tactical furniture surprise them but um, he sees this ad and he shows up at the store and, you know, I want to get my first gun. And, she, you know, she's they sort of try to point out the irony of the fact that he can walk right in. He's like, what do I need to do? And she's like, just fill out this paperwork, but you can go home with a gun, mm-hmm. you know, and basically like showing how easy it is for him to get a weapon. Yeah. And he buys like a handgun. Um starts watching YouTube videos on how to disassemble it. I'm guessing that was sort of like a surgeon type thing. Oh yeah. Cause they do the split screen of him doing surgery and him taking apart the gun and uh-huh. cleaning it and stuff. And I think that's supposed, supposed to be like a, you know, thing that he's meticulous about surgery. So he's also going to be meticulous about his guns. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like he rents out like a storage unit and is that what he's using for his gun practice? Where is he doing that at? He parks his car, turns on the headlights, and he's shooting like a no parking sign. But that wouldn't be in a storage unit. So I have no idea where that's at. Yeah. I, I don't know if it explains it or we didn't pay attention. It's either that or it's know. just in like he's a shitty just... part of town where you can just shoot guns. I'm sure Chicago has plenty of those. Yeah. But he's <laughs> he's sort of hiding out. It's like a private place where no one will bother him. And he's, he's learning to aim. And the first yeah. time they're like... He shoots at the sign and the bullet does the typical like Looney Tunes thing where it bounces all around. Yeah, ricochet. Yeah, so that's why I thought it was in like a storage unit because it, where would he be this completely enclosed? It's like ricocheting off the ceiling and the walls. No. But um. <laughs> yeah, he he does the typical like shoot the thing and it's ricocheting off everything. It's making the pew boom pew boom sounds and he like ducks and he's like, oh, I'm an idiot. I can't believe I did that. And I know someone that got shot that shot themselves that way, but that's sidetracking. Yeah, so <laughs> now, you know he's watching these YouTube videos on on how to do load these guns, shoot them and stuff, and he's learning on his own. And he eventually starts to like he puts on a gray hoodie and some jeans and goes out to be the vigilante. Um, he's carrying this gun in his in his waist, the back waist, and of course, right away he comes apart uh, comes upon like a carjacking. Uh-huh. These guys are hijacking a black couple like stealing their car and their shit and he steps in and says hey you know hey what are you doing and they jump in the car and try to run him over and he shoots at them and and shoots uh the driver like in the neck and shoots a passenger like in the arm or something passenger jumps out and shoots back at him this at this point um paul is still new to it he shoots and he he like Cuts the web of his hand between yeah, his, like, his uh, thumb and pointer finger. What you want to call when the gun cocks the back. hammer? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it cuts him. And from what I've read, that's very typical with that type of gun. So I think Eli did some research on that, like uh-huh. what would happen to like a beginner novice in this situation. 
And of course, it's um, 2018, so this girl's inside of her apartment filming the whole thing with her phone in like the most crystal clear 4K video oh, I've yeah. ever seen. She has the best phone. Yeah, like better than what we have now. Yes. And that's sort of where we meet like the Dean Norris character. He shows up with a female cop, and they're interviewing her, the w- woman who who filmed the whole thing. And it's like. Dean Norris is playing his Hank part pretty well. He's like, you know, so what the guy look like? And she's like, I don't know, like a white guy in a hoodie. And he's mm-hmm. like, so do you have anything that can help us? And she's like, I got the whole fucking thing on video, stupid. Mm-hmm. And he's like, let's watch that again. And they watch it over and over and they see that he shakes out his left hand. So one, they know that he's injured. He must be new. And two, that he's left handed. So that narrows it down a little bit. To be fair, if I saw a Bruce Willis looking guy um you know doing that i would not know how to describe him besides he looks like bruce willis like how do you describe bruce willis like he's bald but you can't see see he's bald because of his hoodie right he's just like he just looks like a white dude yeah he looks like a handsome older guy yeah um yeah so he he eventually you know he shoots this passenger in this hijacking or the, the assailant, I guess you would say his, mm-hmm. um, and, and there's a point where he stands over the body and shoots him directly in the head, which mm-hmm. like was disturbing to everybody. Like, you know, he's a vigilante. He definitely meant to do this. It mm-hmm. wasn't self-defense. Um, which, you know, just like the first movie starts making the news. Like there's a vigilante killer. He goes, it goes viral. The, uh, cop is like, don't put this anywhere. And she's like, I already got like 200 hits on this or 2000 hits on this or something, you know, a typical, like making fun of sort of teenagers uh-huh. in the social media world. Um, and then we sort of move on. Now he's back at work. He's becoming sort of obsessed with this gun thing. Um, he's sleeping on the couch. He's, he says he's not getting much sleep, but he's talking to his therapist telling her, I'm not getting much sleep. I need sleeping medication living in the basement of the house he's got bullets and food and a mess down there he's a wreck because his wife is dead now but um we show him back at work and he comes across this little boy who was shot in like a crossfire or something like a little kid Mm -hmm. and he's like he gets the information from this little boy who did it. it was the ice cream man yeah and you know here comes like a very sort of racist scene where it's very stereotypical very stereotypical like he walks up with the hoodie to this black guy who has an ice cream vendor thing yeah ice cream cart yeah it's like a black neighborhood and ever like obviously the whole neighbor her neighborhood knows this guy and they all you know they're all buying drugs from him all buying drugs and they're listening to rap music very loudly mm-hmm. and he goes up to this guy and he's like Look, are you oh yeah are you the ice cream man he's and he starts to get out his gun he's like yeah who's asking he's like me bang 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 in front of all these people so it's that's kind of very um death wish, death three. wish three i was gonna say that it's just like i'm gonna just shoot you in front of a whole neighborhood of people out and about um make an example of make you. an example and then like as soon as this guy's dead everyone's running to the cart to grab the money from the ice cream cart yep yep because they they know this is like it's filled with money and drugs. Yeah. Hey, hey, look at look look here. You're the ice cream man. 
Who the fuck are you? Your last customer. So yeah, sort of once again, very Death Wish three in that way. Like mm-hmm. you killed the the boss now, everybody's gonna get their piece and run. I mean, he was a piece of shit for getting kids to deal drugs for him. So like, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, he shoots the the ice cream man. Um, trying to think of who else he ends up. He, he ends up basically trying to track these guys down. Mm-hmm. He's trying to track down the guys who shot his wife and and daughter. Um, trying to think of how he gets the information. Eventually, I think one of the guys ends up in the hospital yes. and he finds, he takes his phone. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he recognized him from his tattoos and he's wearing, um, Paul's watch that he got in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And there's a scene, I'm, I'm probably once again going out of order. I should take much better notes, but, uh, I want this to sort of be. Like we were really talking about the movie, yeah. But that's what that's what it's about. There's a scene where he he leaves the hospital and he puts on some clothes from like the laundry, uh, like downstairs in uh-huh. the lo- the washroom of the hospital, and he goes to this. He, he figures out where this bar is, and um, he goes to this private bar and he's like, "I need something for my my girl or something, my wife." And they're like, "Aren't you you know?" He, the guy that runs the bar recognizes him as the doctor. Uh-huh. He knows who he is, so he's text, he's secretly texting his friend, like, the dude's here, the dude's here. Um, he's like, you know, I want to buy... He's like, uh, oh, this is how, what he's... He's like, my... my I work... I own the restaurant, and my boy is a valet there. Yeah. And he goes in and asks, basically, you know, I need... I want to buy something. Goes, sneaks in, and then catches him in like a, a mirror that he's going to grab a gun, pulls a gun on him before he can. Um, and basically like, Oh, he, he stabs his hand with like a an ice pick or something. No, no, no. Um, a throwing dart. Oh yeah. 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 And Which you know, are, are they even that sharp? I think, yeah, you can put it, you're Bruce Willis. You can put it through someone's hand. I guess the bars I go to, they're plastic tips. Yeah. That's why. Safety reasons. Yeah. Drunk people in. Yeah, so weapons. pins his hand to it and then basically like holds a gun to his head, makes him go and get his his wife's or his ring out of the safe in the back um, that they took, you know, from the house, from his safe. Um, but the, I think the the bad guy recognized who he was because he saw the laundry tag on his hoodie, which was yeah, an amateur yeah. mistake. What, yeah. What, what Why was, would you leave that on? What was he thinking? Wouldn't that like kind of bother you? Like that would bother me. Right in your wrist, little tag. Ugh. Yeah, and it said like whatever hospital. He was just so, like, just focused on murder that yeah. he didn't. The little tag didn't bother him. <laughs> yeah, and then you know one of he had alerted one of the one of his men, so that guy shows up and uh, he gets killed too, doesn't he? Or he blows up the place or something. Yeah. I don't even remember. I think, yeah. But, um, you know, by now, the vigilante is getting more and more popular. There's a scene where a copycat vigilante tries to stop a murder or rape and gets killed. Uh Uh-huh. And they're sort of making it modern by having, like, is it Swift or Sway on the radio? And they're talking about it. Breakfast? Yeah. No, it's, it's, I don't remember who it is, but they're, they're talking on the radio about it uh, and doing like podcasts and online videos they're all talking about um 
this, this guy? Who's this guy's vigilante killer? And I read that uh, he Eli Roth contacted these all these radio shows and basically like told them the premise of the movie and what would be happening and did not give them any kind of script and asked them to record what their reaction would be if this was happening oh, so it could be real that's cool as if they had like a real radio show so it's sort of it is a cool idea um because now it would not be like in the first couple movies is like in a newspaper every day and it's like the brute or not well yes bruce paul's first few kills were like black people so they were they did talk about like this guy's running around killing black people <laughs> and yeah it was kind of like that's exactly what would happen today um yeah so i guess this is a good guy back is this like a hate crime like what's going on yeah and then he tracks down another one of the guys to like a garage and this is like a brutal scene the guy's underneath the car working yeah this is very eli roth ish yeah and he shows up to this garage where one of the bad guys is working under a car and he's a complete dick about it and he's like mm-hmm. can't you see i'm working dude and bruce willis like grabs a wrench and hits him right in the crotch mm-hmm. and he's like fuck you basically like i know what you did and who you did and give me the information he's like torturing him yeah, he tortures him, and eventually uh, he wakes up, and he's, you know, knocks him out, and he wakes up, and he's, like, under a car that's jacked up, mm-hmm. just the front end, and when he wakes up, Bruce, like, hits the jack out, and he says, he has, like, a really bad one-liner. And he's, like, cutting his sciatic nerve or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and just, and putting um, brake fluid in his wounds. <laughs> I yeah. hate it. Yeah. It. <laughs> and uh yeah he's torturing him and then to get information out of him then ends up hitting the jack with like his wrench or, or no he pulls it out with a chain he like yeah. does the whipping motion he chain. does a bad one-liner yeah he's like man don't kill me he's like i'm not gonna kill you jack will yeah <laughs> i forgot what that line was i'm glad you remembered it's bad and whips the chain and, and it smashes his head like a pumpkin it's like paul you gotta work on your one-liners you're an amateur yeah Fuck! Get me the fuck out of here! Fuck! Get me the fuck out of here, man! What the fuck are you? You gotta tell me what I want to hear. You don't want this, but guess what? You get some. This gonna help you. Trust me. I know where to cut. Now, right back here. Don't move. It's your sciatic nerve. Longest, strongest nerve in the body. You're that doctor? I am that doctor. But right now, I'm your doctor. Your friend Fish is already dead. We can thank him for giving you up. No. No, 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 no. No. What I want to know is who else was there? Nobody. Who else was there? No one, man. No. No. <laughs> what you're feeling is a caustic agent being applied directly to a nerve. 
In med school, we were taught that this is the most painful experience that a person can adore without possibly going into cardiac arrest. Please stop it, it hurts. The bad news is, we got a shit ton of breakthrough here. So we might be here all night. Now you're gonna start talking, are you? Knox! That's his name, Knox! Knox? What's his full name? I don't know anything else, man! His name is Knox and he's from the south side! Look, fish planned the whole fucking thing! I never met the guy before! Where do I find Knox? You don't! He finds you! Joe? I don't know anything else! I swear to fucking God! I have no reason to protect this asshole! I don't even fucking know him! You gotta believe me, please! I fucking swear it! I believe you, Joe. I think you're gonna find a propofol's wearing off. Thanks for your help. <laughs> you're not gonna kill me. No. Jack is. But this whole time, the cops are sort of um, catching on to who it is. They've shown up at his work a few times. They're questioning him. Um, I think they understand. Oh, because like, when when the cops showed up at the pawn shop, they found um, his wedding ring, Paul's wedding ring. Oh, yeah. So, um, and then they question Paul about it. So, they're like, they know where his... Killers you know, are now. Or his wife's killers. Yeah, like, what happened to the stuff that was stolen and... So, yeah, they're starting um, that bar pawn shop place. Yeah. Yeah. The cops are starting to catch on to who it is slowly. I mean, first they think that they've solved the the crime, and then they start realizing, like, oh, these guys that are connected to Paul's case are dying. And they sort of question, they actually think it's his brother at one point. They yes. go show up, and they're like, this guy's fit, this guy's whatever. You know, he's a lefty. Turns out his brother's also a lefty. Um, so they're accusing his brother of it. And now his brother shows up at the house and realizes that Paul is the vigilante because he, he goes into the house and finds the bullets on the table, uh, finds a huge mess in his house. There, there's also a scene where he's back, Paul's back at a psychiatrist and he's like super happy now mm -hmm. that he's killing people. Like, he's like, oh, I'm sleeping better. I'm feeling great now that he's murdering black people. It's sort of, <laughs> sort of shitty. But, um,. And also, don't for, the whole time, his daughter's in a coma. Yeah, so too. once in a while, we go back and see her, and there's, like, a... She's supposed to be going to college, and... She looks good for being in a coma. Like, her hair's perfect. Ugh. Yeah, and one of her friends is, like, showing up and reading to her, uh -huh. and it's very, you know... And, and his brother seems to be, like, really worked up and pissed about it, and Paul is like, you know, don't worry about it, like... You'll, you know, let the cops do their job or whatever, because he obviously doesn't know his brother's the killer mm -hmm. yet. And then he eventually finds out, and he covers for his brother. Um, like I said, I had this feeling the whole time that his brother was in on it or something, like, had connection to it. But I think it's just the actor, because he always plays a bad guy or someone suspicious. So um, I was sort of mm -hmm. happy to see that he wasn't that guy. Mm -hmm. But um, eventually, you know... He ends up, uh, they end up breaking into his house and he hides, his daughter comes out of a coma, eventually. Um, they give him a call and he leaves the house. Uh, his daughter's out of a coma and she's like, 
back to 100% basically. Yeah. Like, there's no physical therapy, none of that. Like, she wakes up no and she's good. No acting classes or anything. No. Just... <laughs> no she's she, fine. She's just, she just, yeah, completely okay and good. And uh, <laughs> she, she gets to go home and there's a scene where they get in the elevator and this guy is very suspicious and is like, you know, um, what are you doing in here? And she's like, oh, I was in an accident. What are you doing here? And he's like, whatever. And we find out, you know, he was involved. He's like the main bad guy that mm-hmm. I think killed his wife. So he sort of knows who Paul is and Paul knows who he is, but the daughter is not aware of the situation. Mm-hmm. So he shows up at home with the daughter, um, sees a car pull up, tells his daughter to go into the harry potter part of the house yes under the stairs under the stairs hide out there and do not move no matter what (sighs) do you think she listened not at all (laughs) um they break into the house and they're trying to shoot paul up and trying to kill him of course um the daughter gets out and tries to defend her dad screaming and calling 911 yeah and i don't even really remember i know one guy he fell over the railing by the door oh the stairs. he snapped his neck yeah and it's a very like a uh, kind of a gory scene in a way like you see his head kind of gets smashed when he hits the floor like gets dented it's, it's just very eli rothish like just just show over the top yeah just show exactly his injury yeah is that what i want to say yeah. yeah and i'm trying to remember even how he ends up killing the final guy i know he, he probably shoots him i don't know but mm-hmm. um they break into his house and they go after him and they end up paying for it and you know paul lives um this guy dies the police do show up and you know um the dean norris i don't remember the actual character name i just call him dean because he, yeah. he's probably the best actor in this movie uh, shows up and he he's well aware of what's happened and that he's been the vigilante but he's like so your story is these guys followed you home um they broke into your house you, that cut that's almost healed on your hand was from tonight um because i think paul gets like shot in the arm or something and he's like in your other injuries from tonight and uh that's the story you're sticking with and he's like yep and he's like good enough for me basically hinting wink, wink. like yeah basically hinting like i know what's going on but i'm not going to turn you in because you did our job wink, wink, which we've seen in like all of the movies uh-huh. you know is the cop who can't quite do his job well enough and then <laughs> paul does it for them and then the cops are like well i'll let him do my job that's fine it's more like i don't want to do the paperwork and looks like everything's taken care of here <laughs> yeah so Overall, what did you think of this one? I thought it was a good remake. Very, it, it felt very Hollywood, like very polished. Polished, yes. Um, yeah, I over overall, it was good. Where would you rank like all the movies? Probably. Well, I would put uh. The fifth one, last place. Um, and then above that, the fourth one. Then... The second one. Okay. And then three and then one. Or where's the, re- where's the remake fit? I'm, I'm not done. Okay. God, patience. Um, 
I would put the remake next. The first movie and then the third movie at the very best. Okay. I'm sticking with that. I like that ranking. I would say I'm going to start with my favorite. I'll probably say Death Wish is my favorite. Then Death Wish 3. Then probably Death Wish 2. And maybe... Yeah, 1, 3, 2, probably 4... And then remake, and then five. You didn't like the remake that much. No, I thought Bruce Willis sucked in it. Yeah. Um, Bruce Willis hasn't done. He hasn't acted in many, many years. He plays Bruce Willis in every fucking movie. That's true. It's. And it's to me, it's like they could have gone with so many other people, but they chose Bruce. That's, Willis. And that's one reason why I felt like it's very Hollywood, like, like. They, you know, for, let's get the A-lister that we, we're going to pick for every fucking movie. Right, but it's also like they did the same thing. I guess not really the same thing, but um, they sort of did a similar type of thing that they did with the original Death Wish where um, Charles Bronson was like an older, grizzled actor who hadn't had like a big hit in a while mm-hmm. and made him an action star, but Bruce Willis is already been the action star and had like the downturn in his career and he's not what he used to be he's just sort of in a bunch of like straight to video horse shit now mm-hmm. but um definitely phoning it in for him but that sort of leads me on to some of my random facts about this one um it was originally set to star sylvester stallone however stallone backed oh. out after creative differences and to work on his other projects so like know. creed and creed 2 and all that kind of stuff came about but this this movie like it's been in, it was in production from like 2013 wow i think or something way back you know it's been it was sitting on the shelf for a long time went through a lot of actors and stuff so uh, actor, other actors considered from what I'm reading on IMDb trivia, which can be complete bullshit, but, and, and none of these people were probably actually contacted, maybe a few of them, but other actors that they were looking at include, um, Liam Neeson, Russell Crowe, Matt Damon, Benicio Del Toro, Will Smith, Brad Pitt, Kurt Russell, Michael Keaton, Christopher Lambert, Dennis Quaid, Richard Gere, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Don Johnson, Peter Weller, Ron Perlman, Stephen Long, Michael Bain, Tommy Lee Jones, Jeff Bridges, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess maybe Bruce Willis was, like, the 12th choice. <laughs> uh, I think Eli Roth might have been the one that decided him. Like, I think, actually, funny enough, when Eli jumped on board, they had some trouble getting some actors. Like, they did not like Eli's pick as director. Like, yeah. they wanted someone else. Um And let's see, Eli Roth met with Chicago musician Chance the Rapper before shooting to discuss violence in Chicago and talk about possibly collaborating on the film musically. Although the collaboration did not happen, Chance's brother Taylor Bennett appears in the opening montage of Radio Calls calling with Sway in the morning about violence in Chicago. So that show was Sway in the morning. I think Sway was on like mtv back in the day with the he was a yeah. dj with the braids um he also eli roth also spent a lot of time with chicago detectives to get the details of the police district uh correct in the film in the corner 
of an open murder case board. There's like this big board that has all these open murder cases on them. Um, there's a card that says, we're going to need a bigger board, which is obviously a reference to Jaws. You're going to need a bigger boat. That was actually something that was he saw on a board in a Chicago police station. Oh. So he took that from that. Um, after the script laid, laid dormant for three years, it was announced in March of 2016 that Aaron Keshales and Novat Pushando most noted for their film Big Big Bad Wolves, which I really loved, had been hired to direct um, after gaining the approval of star Bruce Willis following their 2013 hit. However, after three months, the duo announced they were leaving the project after MGM refused to allow them additional rewrites of the film. And uh, although not credited, Dean Jarogas rewrote the screenplay from... Page one with director Eli Roth. There were nine writers on the screenplay by the final shooting draft, and the Writers Guild ultimately decided to give Joe Carahan sole credit, despite the fact that none of his dialogue remained in the final version of the film. So this had nine writers by the time it shot. Oh. Can you believe it took nine people to create this? Nine. A remake. Yeah, a remake. It took nine people to figure out this movie that had that took nine people to figure out um the jack line whatever it is. <laughs> jack's gonna kill you it was oh man i was i could have thought of something better i'm not very creative um i got a question for you sure who would you have picked to play paul i don't know maybe i mean you, you can't pick like a. in this they had to pick someone that was recognizable because they yeah. they sort of wanted to, um, well, make money. You need, you know, yeah. that's, that's what she was a recognizable name. But most people our age probably did not even, or young, especially younger, did not realize it was a remake. Like, they probably mm-hmm. hadn't seen the original. I mean... Just your fantasy preference. I don't know, because looking at this list, like, of course, the name that pops up is Kurt Russell is, like, my favorite. But uh-huh. I don't wish this upon him. <laughs> Like, even, I don't know, like, I don't want a good actor to be in a Death Wish remake because um, no matter how good you are and how good the writing is, it's just you can't redo it and, like, make it really great because it's a remake and it's mm-hmm. already been done once and it's fine. That I guess I would say that guy that they've, that's been in all these new movies that looks just like Charles Bronson, I think I showed you a trailer for yeah. one of them, like Death Kiss, I think is one of them. Just hire him and restart it with this guy who looks just like him. So yeah, that's the Death Wish remake. I actually saw it in theaters. I think with you and Blake. You. I didn't remember watching it till I started rewatching. Yeah, it. it made such a great impression on you that you don't remember watching it like a year ago. Mm, I've seen a lot of movies. I think I remember you saying like, you wanted to see this. I'm like, well, you want to see some. Bruce Willis action movie and it's like oh it's uh we re- might might have yeah. had movie pass then maybe and so I was like seeing everything but um Eli Roth and it was Death Wish I was like I'm gonna go see how bad this is I think I I who would you choose a director that's a good question oh, if, Jeff Goldblum Jeff Goldblum <laughs> for director oh yes this is my fantasy movie Okay. I don't know if he's ever directed anything, but uh, you got to well, start somewhere. Give him a chance. 
I'm I would choose a female director. Ooh, um I would I would choose like one of my friends that I know through like the film festival or something cuz I think they would a lot of them are super violent. I have a lot of rad filmmaker friends who are females that make super violent movies. I would choose um You know what? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sorry we've dragged this on for another 20 minutes that it doesn't need to be going on. Um, did you have any final thoughts on the Death Wish series as a whole? Um, or on this movie? Or any thoughts in there? I I wish Jeff Goldblum would have had a bigger part. Okay. That's, that's all you have? <laughs> Um, I enjoyed some of them. <laughs> Are you glad you watched them? Yeah. Except for like four and five. But they were fun at least. Like stupid uh, fun. Uh, yeah. I try to pull positive, I guess. There's a reason I don't own five in any format. There's a reason we um, had to dig to find yeah. a copy of it because it sucks. Um, and four just came in the pack with two and three. So. Okay. Um, that's my excuse anyways. So okay. yeah, that's the Death Wish franchise. We're done. Which uh, franchise should we tackle next? Um, whatever Jeff Goldblum's in. I think we'll probably end up watching, like you, you had a movie that you remembered from your, you watched as a teenager a lot or something. Yeah, like at Slumber Parties called The Haunting. Yeah, well maybe we'll watch that. And, and then uh, it's going to be your first time. Yeah. Woo! So we'll keep, you know, doing this because it's easy for us to record. We live together and, you know, there's a lot of, we have a lot of free time now that there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. So, um, it's good to record with you like every other guest. So, and people seem to like it from the first episode. People like me? I guess. Mm. Don't know why, but, uh, we're approaching, we're approaching like an hour and a half. So we'll wrap this up, uh. Thanks for listening. Uh, thank you. It's been a fun death wish journey. A lot of mm-hmm. rapes and kills and gunshots and people falling over aliens. What a trade it for the world. Yeah. A lot of people falling over aliens. I hope you don't <gasps> fall over a railing listening yeah. to this. Um, a lot of people fall. Yeah, I hope you don't get shot and I hope... I, I don't wish death upon any of you. That's nice. So, uh, again, thanks for joining me, Nikki. It's been an adventure. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back sometime soon with another episode of First Time. Bye, love you. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the First Time Podcast. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the great podcasts. Thanks to Scott Schreiner of Weezer for our intro and outro music. And last but not least, remember to leave us a review. That's how we get listeners. So like, share, find us on social media, and let us know what you think. We'll see you next time on First Time Podcast.